Welcome to your daily affirmations. Repeat after me, working with others is easier than ever. I strive for perfect collaboration. Our teamwork keeps getting better. Yeah, affirmations are great, but Monday.com can really get you the teamwork you desire. Work together easily and share files, updates, data, and just about anything you want all in one platform. Affirm yes to start. Or tap the banner to go to Monday.com. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. And I'd like to tell you that we have a new and improved website. It has two new features that we think you'll love. One of them is a vastly improved search engine so that when you type in keywords, you'll get a bunch of episodes really quick. The other is the ability to create a listener account. And in that listener account, you can save episodes for later listening. So you can create a kind of listening list. We think these features are neat and we think you'll enjoy them. Please visit the site today. The ascension of Christ is a fundamental doctrine of Christianity. And yet Luke's two-volume work contains the only narrative depictions of Jesus' ascent into heaven in the New Testament. All the more reason to take a closer look at these ascension narratives recorded by Luke. Here to do just that, in today's show, David Bryan talks about the book he co The ascension of Christ is a fundamental doctrine of Christianity. And yet Luke's two-volume work contains the only narrative depictions of Jesus' ascent into heaven in the New Testament. All the more reason to take a closer look at these ascension narratives recorded by Luke. Here to do just that, in today's show, David Bryan talks about the book he co-edited with David Powell, titled Ascent into Heaven in Luke-Acts, published by Fortress Press in 2016. In this collection of essays, leading scholars discuss the ancient, literary, and theological contexts of the Ascent into Heaven accounts found in Luke and in Acts. David K. Bryan is an adjunct instructor and doctoral candidate at Trinity Evangelical Divinity School in Deerfield, Illinois. He has published on the parables of Jesus, and his other research interests include authority in the ancient world, apocalyptic literature, and the kingdom of God. You're listening to New Books and Biblical Studies. And I'm Michael Morales, your host. David, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. So tell us about yourself and how you came to edit this work on Ascent into Heaven in Luke Acts. Yeah, I, um, uh, both David and I are thankful to be on the program. And uh, I did a uh, Master's of Theology uh, back in, gosh, when was that? 2010, I started it, I guess. And... For my thesis for that degree, I was interested in working on the Ascension, something that as I had worked in Luke and Acts over the years in ministry and in my uh, Master of Divinity prior to that, just something that I was interested in and wanted to to get into more. And so that's what I did. I wrote my thesis on the Ascension, and I looked at you know uh, how it— in both Luke and Acts, how it related to uh, 
issues of theology, of uh, divine identity. And that was sort of the, the launching point for the idea for the, the volume. And when I started my PhD at Trinity Evangelical Divinity School, I had talked to Dr. Powell and um, David and I, you know, began going through it. And there really, yeah, wasn't much work done uh, in particular on the Ascension in the last uh, several decades, other than a few monographs. And in particular, there wasn't a volume that was done by a number of different scholars looking at the Ascension from different angles and all focused on, on Luke and Acts. And so that was really part of the journey for me and, and for, for David as well. Obviously he's, written uh, commentaries in Chinese, uh, unfortunately, for, for those of us who don't speak Chinese, but he's written a commentary on, on the Gospel of Luke. And so he's, and his, um, has done, obviously his dissertation was on Acts, and, but with a heavy focus on Luke as well. And so um, he's had a strong interest in, in Luke and Acts in general, and uh, he was interested in working on the Ascension uh, with me. So that was sort of the yeah, how, how the project came to be, so to speak. David, let's begin with the designation Luke-Acts. Are these two books meant to be read as a unity? It's a great question, Michael, and it's one that uh, scholars have have debated for, for a while. Um, and obviously, one of the reasons is both the prefaces of both Luke, the Gospel, and then Acts uh, mention the same... Um, benefactor or recipient, which is Theophilus. And so that has at least initially uh, led to the designation of them or the assumption that they have the same author. And so most scholars are going to recognize that Luke and Acts are at least written by the same person, uh, traditionally known as Luke. And uh, whether, so apart from authorial unity, um, which most people would would largely agree to. Then it gets into issues of how the the books are received throughout history, so reception history, how uh, the books relate thematically, how they relate in terms of uh, a narrative as a whole. Is it one narrative or two? Um, how you know? So can you read it? You know, just sort of chronologically from start, quote unquote, from start to finish. And so the the term Luke hyphen X was coined in order to sort of uh, recognize this unity, uh, at least authorial, and largely now the, the hyphen tends to represent not only authorial unity, but thematic and narrative or, or literary unity, um, and even sometimes uh, unity on the reception level. Although there's been a number of works uh, in the last several decades, so the work by um, Parsons and Purbo, Richard Purbo and Michael Parsons, um, you know, on rethinking the, the unity of Luke and Acts and their argument um, that it shouldn't be seen as a strict unity, so as basically one book in two volumes. And then the, the work by Gregory and Rowe, sort of looking at the reception history, so how these two books were received in the early church and their argument that they weren't received as one book in two volumes, but as two uh, separate uh, books, but 
uh, with one author and with significant thematic uh, overlaps. And uh, so that's sort of the the history behind the term. And um, yet most scholars, especially uh, more conservative, I guess, evangelical scholars would, would, would agree that Luke and Acts should be seen as unity, um, not only like I said, uh, authorial, which almost everyone agrees to, but then thematic and and uh, narrative as well. So one book with two volumes. So is there a theme that begins in the Gospel of Luke that really doesn't come to a resolution until Book of Acts? I mean, certainly uh, most people would argue that salvation is uh, probably the prominent theme in the Gospel itself, and then obviously how that works out in the early church in the narrative of Acts. And, uh, but apart from just that theme, you get um, uh, David Powell, my co-editor, you know, writing on how Isaiah was used in both books, so especially beginning at uh, Luke 4 with the, the unique scene in Nazareth and the citation from Isaiah there. And then you get the uh, um, sort of citations from Isaiah 56 and 61 in Luke 4, and then you get citations from Isaiah 6, at the very end in Acts 28, so you, you know you could sort of bookend, in a sense, apart from the the infancy narrative in Luke 1 to, to 3, you bookend you know the large portion of the narrative with references to to Isaiah, which focus on salvation on the one hand and uh, judgment on the other. You know, two very prominent themes not only in in Luke and Acts, um, but in the scriptures as a whole. Luke gives two accounts of the ascension, at the end of the Gospel and at the beginning of Acts. Does Jesus' ascent have a different theological function in each book? That's a great question, and it's one of the, the questions that I keep coming back to in certain ways. And one of the reasons why, I know we're going to talk about it in a little bit, but my chapter only focuses on the Gospel of Luke, and there's others in the volume that focus only on Acts. But... Um, I think the the question of whether it is a, you know one sort of theological significance or a, a general theological significance for both accounts um, is an important question. And a side question would be then how do they relate in terms of the two narratives or one narrative and two volumes? I think theologically, the ascension accounts in Luke twenty four and then in Acts one have similarities theologically. Um, what you get surrounding the narratives in terms of uh, the spirits, the coming of the spirit foretold in prior to the account in, in, in both accounts, in Luke 24 and Acts 1, you get um, worship occurring just after the account in Luke 24 and the disciples praying in an upper room uh, after the ascension in, in Acts 1. And all of that tends to, to point theologically to some notion of uh, what most people would call exaltation. Um, and, uh, and then, of course, uh, that's carried out, I think, uh, later in Acts. You see it more developed in certain ways in Acts. But, and it's sort of anticipated, that's the word I'm looking for, anticipated in, in the narrative uh, heading up to the ascension in the Gospel of Luke. And so I think exaltation, notions of um, kingship as well could be implied because of uh, where Jesus is going, right? He's going into heaven, 
uh, in all the, the throne language that's associated with heaven uh, in the Old Testament and in uh, other Jewish literature uh, surrounding the first century. And uh, certainly we're going to get that when you get to Acts 7 and notion in, in with Stephen. But so theologically, I think the ascension is fairly similar. The account, the two accounts represent fairly similar theological significance in terms of the narratives themselves. I think that's uh, potentially a different question, although it's obviously related. Um, but in terms of you know, why does Luke end his volume with the Ascension account? And then why does he begin, like you said, again, uh, with another or another account it's, uh, of the Ascension and how that shapes in terms of the gospel, how that shapes it, the gospel as a conclusion and how for Acts, how it shapes it as a as a beginning, uh, even though, you know, if you argue for unity, um, especially if you argue for reception history unity, you know, the audience, Theophilus is, uh, presumably knows already about the ascension from the gospel when you turn to, to, to reading the book of Acts. And so I think it raises a lot of interesting narrative questions uh, as to why. Why begin and end, you know, we call in our subtitle, right, the Luke's narrative hinge, in a sense, uh, the ascension being a, a hinge, you could say, for for both volumes, even though I think they have s- some uh, different functions narratologically. Um, and uh, Michael Parsons in his book in, in the 80s on the, the departure of Luke X uh, was one of the, the first to really um, – bring the, the more recent narrative critis, critical sort of approaches to, to the scriptures, which are now very prominent, um, uh, to the ascension itself in terms of why does it begin and end uh, Luke's two, two volumes. And what role does the ascension of Jesus have in the book of Acts after chapter 1? Yeah, I, again, this, this touches on the, the, both the theological and the, the narrative significance of the ascension in particular in Acts, and obviously in terms of a departure, Jesus leaves the scene. Um, and yet what you see throughout the rest of the book is that he's uh, he's gone in a sense, right? He's not walking and talking and teaching like he did in the gospel. And yet uh, his name is very prominent. And I think that notion of the name of Jesus um, is, is quite significant as it uh, – occurs and when it occurs throughout the rest of Acts. Uh, and so you get, for example, in Acts 3 and 4, when Peter and John are approaching the temple and you get that first uh, or major healing account by the disciples after the ascension. And it's in the name of Jesus. Um, and that name of Jesus for healing the lame man um, is a significant aspect of of that account and then how they talk about Jesus then uh, with the Jewish leaders in the temple after uh, after that healing but that carries out uh, onward throughout the the rest of the book and so uh, Jesus is significant not only in terms of um, well it's significant in terms of his name being used over and over again as in a sense the the basis the as you could say, in a sense, the agency, the agent of of these uh, things that are happening that are new and different uh, 
um, in the early church. But then obviously one big way in which Jesus is still, quote unquote, uh, or present or active in the narrative is you get that scene in Acts 7, at the end of Acts 7 with with Stephen, uh, the vision of heaven opening up, and he sees uh, Jesus, right, standing beside God the Father. Um, and uh, I think that that vision at least gives a hint uh, uh, at one, where Jesus is, right? And, and Acts is very clear about where Jesus goes in Acts 9 to 11, right? Uh, the, the destination is mentioned four times, right? Into heaven, uh, both by uh, the angels and by Luca, the, the narrator. And so it's very uh, easily seen where Jesus goes. And then the, Steven, the, the scene with Stephen reminds the audience of where he is and uh, not only where he is, but who he's associated with, right? So God, the father, and uh, in terms of throne language and, and sort of the royal connotations of all of that, right? His, his exaltation, his kingship, um, all of that reminds the, the hearer of the book of Acts of, of his status, right? His status at the, uh, apex of the world, so to speak, right, of the cosmos in heaven, um, overseeing and ruling over all that is happening on earth. Themes that are picked up, you, you know, I think prominently, for example, in Colossians 1 and elsewhere in the New Testament. And um, one other interesting thing to me, uh, something that I'd like to to deal with more at some point, but um, you know, one one theme in Jesus' teaching that is probably the most prominent, right, is the kingdom. And you don't get much kingdom language in in the book of Acts, but when you do, it tends to be the kingdom and Jesus. Um, and so Jesus is is associated with the kingdom um, in in terms of what the disciples are preaching and teaching, right? They're not like Jesus preaching the kingdom; they're preaching the kingdom and Jesus. Um, and I think that uh, is significant in the sense of, again, it's royal connotations, but also the, what the disciples are preaching and teaching uh, outside, both w- within Judea uh, and Samaria, but then to the end of the earth, right? They're, they're, they're not just talking about the kingdom of God that's coming that Jesus talked about, but they're talking about the kingdom and Jesus. And I think that, is significant for the hearer. It's just little glimpses throughout the book of Acts or little snippets, little mentions of Jesus that keep popping up that remind the hearer or the reader of who he is and the fact that he's, while he has ascended into heaven, he's never gone, so to speak, from the narrative. And uh, I think that uh, really shapes how the reader constantly is is thinking and hearing and um conceptualizing what Lucas is doing with his, his narrative. I appreciated the essays by Joshua Jipp and David Pow in this book. Jipp highlights the kingship theme of the Ascension in the book of Acts. Would it be too clean and simple to think of the Ascension in Luke's gospel as priestly, ending with the priestly benediction, and then the Ascension in Acts primarily in terms of kingship? Um, yeah. yeah. It is clean and simple, for sure. Um, I don't think it's too clean and simple, although um, 
or maybe say differently, I, I think it, those aspects in terms of priesthood, it, and certainly um, a number of people have argued that for the gospel with the notion of Jesus' blessing, right, in Acts 24, mm-hmm. right before his ascension, uh, raising the hands, and um, I think Kelly Kelly Kapich, however you say his, his name, has a, a good article on that. Um, uh, but, you know, so I think priesthood is, is there. And some people will argue that Moses, Moses is, is in mind in particular there uh, at the end of, of the gospel. Um, and certainly Josh uh, and, and David in terms of kingship and acts is clearly uh, in, in view. Um, so I, I, I wouldn't want to say that neither is involved. Um, or let me say differently. I think it's like you said, priesthood is there in Luke 24. And certainly kingship is there in Acts. But I would I would also want to say that um, that both are there uh, in, in how do I say this? If you flipped it, vice versa. Um, so that uh, certainly you would you would want to say that, for example, in, in Luke 24, that kingship is 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 in view. I mean, how the, the narrative itself has has presented Jesus up to that point, right? And certainly the triumphal entry would perhaps be the, the clearest instance in Luke uniquely sort of including in the citation from from Psalm 118, uh, the king, right? right. Um, uh, so Luke is, is very intent on presenting Jesus as king in, in the gospel. And so I think we'd want to say that the ascension is equally interested in that. Although... Uh, you know, it, which is again part of the whole question. Luke's the Gospels account of the Ascension is is sparse, right? It's pretty brief, mm-hmm. and um, and even in, in Acts uh, one, it's not super detailed. Um, probably because uh, there's no uh, heaven scene or, or anything like that, like you would get in perhaps some of the the Second Temple Jewish literature. There's no scene of what Jesus actually does in heaven, apart from Acts 7, but I think the Acts 7 in and of itself would also point to a priestly sort of notion, right, of uh, intercession and different things. So it's royal, but priestly. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, I think it's it, it would probably be overly simplistic to say that only the gospel talks about the ascension in terms of in priestly terms and that only Acts talks about the ascension in, in kingly terms. Um, so I think that would be over overly simplistic. But I think but so I, I would probably counter to say that both of those aspects are there in certain ways in each of the accounts, for sure. And some, like Crispin Fletcher Louis and I, have connected the cloud language in Acts 1, along with Daniel 7, to entering God's presence with clouds of incense on the Day of Atonement. So there does seem to be both kingship and priestly imagery connected together there. Sure, and I think, you know, the the cloud language in, in Luke 21, in the quote-unquote eschatological discourse, right, where you get the, the, the citation or least strong allusion to Daniel 713 um, there, uh, although, it, you know, in terms of the Son of Man and coming in, in power and glory, um, although there it's, it, you know, it would be interesting to, to, to play out whether that's more priestly or uh, quote-unquote royal. Um, I don't think you, could pro- you would want to say is either or. Right. Um, but, uh, so I mean, I think that would again push to, to see the, the Luke, the gospel account 
as at least somewhat royal um, in addition to sort of the priestly notions that, that you definitely touched on. And again, like you said, right, in Acts 1, um, that cloud motif uh, is, is there, um, uh, perhaps alluding to Elijah and other things. But I think it's, it definitely has some priestly notions, you know, with Moses and the cloud coming down and different things, uh, you know, in, in Exodus. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think the, the allusions to the Old Testament in particular are, um, are there, although Luke is, is not very explicit about them, and which is probably intentional, at least to, to show the, both the, the profundity of what the ascension is and means uh, for Jesus and for, for the people of God, but also to sort of leave it um, vague and ambiguous uh, to, to continue to uh, provoke thoughts and um, interest as to its importance. David, tell us a little bit about your own essay within this volume. Yeah, my essay is um, on, uh, I drew the straw, so to speak, of looking at Jesus' ascension in relation to, to Second Temple Jewish literature and in particular, Second Temple Jewish apocalyptic literature. And as you know, Michael, that there's a lot of that kind of literature in in the Jewish world surrounding uh, the first century prior to and after uh, the time of of the of the New Testament. And we get you know glimpses of that, in particular, obviously Revelation, but uh, we get emphases and and apocalyptic notions uh, throughout the the New Testament. And so um, one of the things that is striking about that uh, body of literature is that there's a lot of ascension accounts and um, way more than you get in the Old Testament. Uh, in the Old Testament, there's only a handful. And even those are like you get with the Elijah and Elisha or Enoch. Um, uh, they're uh, brief and they probably hint more at just being a, um, a way of talking about death itself, although that's debated. But um, in the Second Temple uh, Jewish literature, you get these ascensions of people like uh, Enoch and, and others who go up to heaven, um, whether it's bodily or in a vision or in a dream. Um, they go up to heaven and they uh, talk to God and then they usually return uh, to earth to communicate the, the re revelation they've been given to, to God's people, uh, usually for exhortation or encouragement. Um, and you see this, there's a number of, of works in, uh, I think some footnote, I think I say something like 14 or uh, I'm sure the count itself uh, could be debated, but there's a lot. And um, so it's an interesting question, you know, how, how does this uh, body of ascent, uh, of ascension accounts um, inform or relate to or not um, what Luke is, is doing with uh, his ascension account? And obviously Luke is the only gospel writer, uh, at least of the synoptics, to, to give a full uh, uh, narrative uh, of Jesus ascending into heaven. He does it twice. And so the question is why and how uh, might uh, the 
his audience, for example, or Luke himself have been informed by or or not um, by this wider body of Ascension literature, you could call it, um, in in the in and around the first century. And there's a lot of other accounts. Um, uh, James Wallace's chapter uh, on Greco-Roman ascensions um, is also significant, important, uh, especially depending on how you understand Luke's audience in terms of Jewish or Gentile. Um, but uh, so there's just a lot of this, you know, I'd like to call it, you know, at times uh, this web, these webs of discourse um, in and around uh, the first century that are related to to people ascending, and usually they're very prominent people, or the names are prominent in terms of the the Old Testament um, pseudepigrapha uh, that are given, you know, names or names are attached to them, like Enoch, um, and uh, or in Greco-Roman literature you get Augustus and Romulus, these key Roman figures that are said to have ascended up into heaven either before or after their deaths. Um, and so the question is, why? why? Why is that important in the ancient world? And why is it important for Luke to, to narrate uh, Jesus' ascension? I mean, practically speaking, right, it makes sense that uh, the question of where Jesus is now <laughs> would have been prominent uh, in the early church if he's not walking around uh, with them. And so um, it's very helpful that Luke gives us an account but so my, my chapter uh, wanted to, to really look at, in, on the Jewish side, how does all of this literature relate to uh, Luke's narrative? And um, uh, one of my other areas of interest in, in what I'm working on now uh, in terms of authority and um, in the ancient world and how that relates to Luke's gospel so that was a uh, another sort of aspect of this. Uh, these ascension accounts are very um, interested in presenting how the world is um, hierarchically in terms of authority, and um, obviously God is at the apex of that. Uh, throne room scenes are very prominent, especially in Enoch um, and in Testament of Levi and elsewhere. And so you get these... Um, scenes in which God is on the throne um, and you have all these angels worshiping around him and serving him and um, and you get these humans going up to, to heaven to to witness that um, I think in part because the uh, the these this literature evolves and comes about because of where uh, Israel is at in terms of a people um, in exile or at least in um, a sort of depleted is the only word that's coming to mind, but a, a different sort of uh, sense than they, they were prior to exile, and they're re trying to reconcile how to, to be in the world in light of their their situation and, and setting. And so these accounts are, are often, I think, to help the, the people of God realize that uh, where they're at in the world is not how it's always going to be. Um, and I think that, uh, you know, God on the throne and sovereign in heaven is a big part of that. And, uh, and yet what we see there, what's clear is that there's a hierarchy to the cosmos, right? God is at its apex and you have angels, including arch archangels. And, um, so there's a hierarchy within the hierarchy 
uh, and where humanity comes into that um, uh, is also important. And so how does Jesus relate or how could we, um, maybe better said, relate Luke's narrative to all of that? Um, and so my chapter uh, looks at how the gospel as a whole presents Jesus's uh, authority. I mean, in brief, uh, it's not super long, but uh, you know, how does the gospel sort of leading up to uh, the ascension uh, and as a conclusion, um, how does it present Jesus uh, in terms of authority and hierarchy, um, and then leading up to and culminating in the the ascension account where he ends up in heaven. Um, and then you see the disciples worshiping God uh, uh, right after it. And so um, I argue that the Ascension account, uh, not only like we've talked about in terms of priesthood and, and kingship, but even perhaps a little more um, broadly speaking, presents Jesus as uh, uh, like God at the apex of, of the cosmos, hierarchically speaking. And that's significant for the conclusion of the gospel, uh, that the gospel has been, in a sense, pointing to to this uh, moment. Uh, and um, not only in the sense of, of what Jesus does throughout, but then in, in this sort of subversion of that, you could say, in the, the crucifixion, that the one who is uh, and will be um, the uh, authority, uh, the ruler over all, was crucified and yet raised from the dead um, and then ultimately ascended. And so the ascension is not the beginning, I, I would argue, of acknowledgement that Jesus is uh, uh, the authority, the ruler overall, but it's sort of the, in the gospel, the final affirmation of it, um, that you get the glimpses of, of Jesus' authority throughout uh, the gospel, and it really culminates in the ascension account to to see Jesus going into heaven, uh, which is the 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 apex, uh, the place where the one who rules over all dwells. And so um, that's really what what I'm doing in my chapter, and it has tied into a lot of things, like I said uh, that I did earlier in my master's thesis, and it relates to. My, my current work that I'm doing uh, doing now. One unique feature about this collection of essays is that it ends with a chapter written by a theologian, Douglas Farrow, who engages theologically with the essays. That was a helpful addition. Yeah, you know, we, um, David and I, as we were thinking about and putting and trying, putting the sections of the book in our minds and trying to think about who to, who to invite, and we didn't want it to be merely biblical studies, although it is largely that. And uh, so we, we thought, you know, how can we, how can we do this? Can we conclude it with one chapter or multiple chapters theologically? Because like you sort of said, or hinted at, at least Michael, we, we wanted to, the, the volume to be beneficial, not merely for scholars. Uh, we wanted it to be accessible to, to pastors and uh, theological students um, and even just people in the in the church who are interested in the ascension, and um, so we ultimately, uh, you know, uh, were blessed to have have Douglas Farrow write that concluding chapter, and, and, and Dr. Farrow has 
is probably the theologian, uh, contemporary theologian, who's written the most, I, I guess you could say, probably on the Ascension. Um, he's written a couple of books on it, and and interestingly, you know, his views on it have, have sort of shifted over time, and so I, we thought he would be a really great uh, scholar to give feedback uh, on what uh, us biblical scholars have have attempted to to do uh, with regards to the Ascension and. Yeah, the the chapter is uh, it's super well written. Uh, he's he's very engaging as a writer, and uh, so it's a really fun read in a lot of ways. And um, and yet, you know, he's he's uh, Douglas uh, is is not averse to um, throwing the first stone, I guess we could say, or, or <laughs> um, I don't know how you'd want to frame it, but um, you know, he's he's not shy in in asking how I think to put it. Uh, maybe perhaps a little bit differently than he would, but how do history and theology relate, right? How do biblical studies, this is explicit in this chapter, how do they, biblical studies relate to the, theological studies? Um, and so I think at bare minimum, uh, the chapter is well worth a read on that front. And it's it's long been, you know, going back to, to Lessing's ugly ditch, you know, in terms of uh, history and theology uh, has long been this, this, especially in, in modernity, you know, how do they relate? Um, and for a long time now, they, they, they don't tend to uh, as much as certainly as, as, as Douglas thinks they should. And, and I think uh, ultimately they should. Um, the question is how to do that. You know, how, how should biblical scholars think theologically? How should theologians think biblically? Um, and that's led to a lot of different things like biblical theology, and now we have theological interpretation of Scripture. Um, but it's a it's a supremely important question, and I think Douglas's chapter does a great job of looking at the Ascension in particular, and what a bunch of biblical scholars have have done, and looking at it. How then should we uh, transition or alter uh, our thinking about it theologically, and um, so uh, yeah, we were really thankful to have Douglas uh, conclude it. And actually, I had the chance to uh, hang with him and have dinner with him at SBL this this past November uh, after the book had come out, obviously, uh, which was uh, a lot of fun. And um, so you know, uh, it, it's it's definitely a, a great chapter and, and um, really points uh, the reader of our volume to uh, after all this thought biblically to then how do we think about the, the ascension theologically. And really, and this, again, sort of the uh, part of the impetus for, for the volume, there just hasn't been a lot of attention to the, to the ascension. Um, you, you know, uh, the ascension is prominent uh, in the church calendar, right? We have Ascension Day, even though mm-hmm. there's a lot of churches that don't necessarily celebrate it. Um, but historically, it's been a, an important day. It was an important doctrine, uh, it, you know, throughout the church. You know, even in reformers like Calvin and others, um, you know, valuing the ascension and, and seeing it as significant. And yet, it doesn't seem to be as important. Uh, and this is just my opinion in sort of viewing the the church today uh, and in scholarship as well. Um, doesn't seem to get as much play, so to speak as other things, uh, other events, quote-unquote, in Jesus' life, whether it's his birth, 
his death, his resurrection, right? I mean, when you when you talk about Jesus' life and ministry, too too often I've found it to be, you know, Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. And and no one and the ascension sort of gets left off. Mm-hmm. Um and uh, yet Luke uh, in particular, is uh, very keen on ending his account of Jesus' life uh, in ministry with the Ascension, and then obviously to begin his account of the early church um, with the Ascension. And so I think it's it's important for the church to 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 think anew and think um, uh, well about. Uh, the ascension itself and what it means not only for Jesus but what it means for for the people of God and how we are to be in the world and since like we've talked about uh, the account uh, in Acts of the early church begins with the ascension seems <laughs> seems pretty important to Luke that the early church uh, is is framed uh, and uh, with this notion of the ascension. And, and thus, I think we, uh, as the people of God, um, should also think about about the ascension. Um, and so I think the book, right, and this is sort of, again, the reason for, for Douglas's chapter, um, the book is largely biblical studies, but we, don't, we didn't just want to leave it there. We wanted to, to, to point people to think theologically, um, and Douglas would obviously, would argue, and he does in, his, in the chapter very uh, eloquently. I, I would say uh, that they shouldn't be divorced, but and I don't think we would say they should be either. But um, I, I think readers should 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 think about the ascension theologically. What does it mean for the church? What does Jesus being in heaven uh, now currently mean for for the church? Other than just that he you know he's going to return someday. Um, what does it what does it mean that Jesus is the ascended uh, Messiah, um, but he's not an absent one? Um, uh, you know, all those types of things that I think the Ascension accounts in Luke and Acts really, really point us to, and that you see hinted at in other places in in the New Testament as well. Agreed. Aside from wrapping up a doctoral dissertation, can you tell us about any other projects you're working on? Yeah, you know, uh, yeah, the primary one is a uh, dissertation. Um, please, Lord, let it let it finish at some point. Um, uh, yeah, my my dissertation is focused on um, Jesus's authority in Luke and Acts, and I'm uh, in particular a more narrative um, accounting of it, and in, and within that, looking specifically at Luke nineteen to twenty one, where Jesus is asked about his authority for the first time in the temple scene there and um what is going on with that scene um most scholars tend to break it up into pieces and in particular sort of abstract the eschatological eschatological discourse in Luke 21 uh out of it but then how does that scene relate to all the authority stuff that has uh gone on before in the narrative and so it's in some ways sort of the uh I don't know if I don't know if I'd call it the prologue to my chapter in the Ascension book, but um, it's a very long prologue. But uh, yeah, so I mean, really interested in authority in the ancient world and what does that mean, and it's gotten me into a lot of uh, interesting things with regards to authority and politics today, 
and how the church uh, should think and be or not be politically and think in terms of authority, which obviously, you know, authority is not um, the most uh, popular word or concept uh, today. Uh, we tend to, as a in the Western world and particularly in the U.S., like we like our freedom, and so freedom and authority are often uh, juxtaposed. But um, outside of that, I, I'm I'm really really interested in the kingdom of God. Um, that was originally what I was going to do my my dissertation on, and um, and I I think I'd like to to get back to it. I've done. Uh, work on the parables previously as well and that's all related to, to kingdom stuff and I'm yeah really uh, intrigued by uh, how important the kingdom is um, in Jesus' teaching and then how we tend to talk about it uh, today in the church um, and I think we tend to sort of narrow it into one thing or, or another and uh, I think at times that sort of polyvalent up. I mean, it's not endless, but the sort of multivalent notion of, of what the kingdom is um, in in the synoptics in particular, um, it doesn't get overlooked, but it just sort of gets, the kingdom tends to want to, most scholars and I think in, people in the church tend to want to cram it into one particular thing. And um, yeah, so I'd really just like to give some, some renewed attention to it. Um, Obviously, that is very challenging since uh, there's a lot of work that's been done on the kingdom in the history of the church. And uh, so I hope that I can can be a part of that uh, tradition, if you will, of, of engaging the kingdom uh, uh, over the next uh, few years or perhaps my, my career. So Sounds good. David, it was great hearing from you today. Thank you for being with us. Yeah, Michael, thank you uh, so much for, for this privilege, both David and I. Thank you, and uh, it's been a joy to, to talk about the Ascension. Friends, you've been listening to David Bryan talk about Ascent into Heaven and Luke Acts, co-edited with David Powell. Until next time, goodbye. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.